We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com. All right, hour number two of a Wednesday home and home. We're brought to you by ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Try ZipRecruiter for free right now. ZipRecruiter.com slash enter. ZipRecruiter is the smartest way to hire. The stupidest way to conduct business appears to be what the University of Kansas has done. They are facing some major level one infractions from the NCAA. Can the championship winning Hall of Fame head coach survive this one? Or is Bill Self headed for at least... A very long suspension. And how does Adidas tie into all this? We'll talk to Pat Forty from Yahoo Sports in just a couple of minutes. Also, what is going on with Baker Mayfield and the play calling from Freddie Kitchens? How do they write that ship in Cleveland? We'll go to Cleveland with Dustin Fox from 92.3 The Fan in Cleveland. I'm Dave Briggs, home in Connecticut. Ross Tucker is home in Pennsylvania. And you brought to my attention a very fascinating story in college football brewing this week. De'Eric King, the quarterback of Houston, after four games, a new NCAA rule allows a player to redshirt. Typically, that means you are going to transfer. That's not the case for now with De'Eric King, who, by the way, broke Tim Tebow's record for consecutive games running and passing for a touchdown in the same game. This guy was a Heisman candidate, at least leading into this season, has put up some massive numbers at Houston, but apparently the number that matters is one in three after four games. The thought being he was redshirting to transfer the same way Kelly Bryant did at Clemson after getting benched for Trevor Lawrence. But no, that is apparently not the case. Apparently his father who told an affiliate that transferring is the best thing for his son. Apparently he's wrong. Let's listen to this quarterback, De'Eric King, and what is he planning to do now? And why redshirt after four successful starting games? This decision I made was probably the hardest I've made so far in my life. Um, uh, I think it, it wasn't a decision that, that I just woke up in one day and, and, and wanted to do. Uh, it was... It wasn't just me making decisions, uh, me and my family, Coach Hogerson. Uh, a, a lot of people got involved with it, and, and I think it was the decision best for my future and, and my, my college experience. So that's the reason I made it. Uh, I'm staying here. I'm here. Um, if I wanted to leave Houston, go somewhere else, I, I could have. Um, I think just me being here uh, is, is what I want to do. I think it's the best opportunity for me. So uh, I don't think any, anybody will reach out to me, even if, if they do. Uh, they should know I'm staying here. A, a lot of a lot of thinking went into it. Um, like like Coach Hogan just said, Friday morning, came up here. Uh, he called me. I came up here. We talked just about the game for 30 minutes. We talked about the game for 30 minutes. Then everything was on the table after that. We talked about all my, all my options and and everything was on the table. Um, and it wasn't like he, he talked to me about it, asking me a question about it. And I was like, yeah, I'm all in. It was Friday, Friday night, Saturday morning, Saturday night, Sunday, even waking up Monday. I still wasn't. Sure, um, but at the end of the day, like I said, I talked to my family. Uh, my family, Coach Ogerson, they they met, and we all think it's a, the best opportunity. All right, so he keeps mentioning Coach Holgerson. We ought to go ahead and play the head coach, Dan Holgerson, who apparently supports this move. Listen. I, I think it's pretty cool that these guys want to continue their college experience at the University of Houston. Right? They don't want it to be over in a couple of months. And they have the right to be able to get another year. Uh, and so I respect that. And I, I, you know, not only do I respect that decision, I support that decision. You know, guys that, that want the opportunity to be able to develop as young men, develop as students, develop, get their degrees, exhaust their eligibility with a degree is something that I pride myself in. And we have an awful lot of work to do here at the University of Houston when it comes to that. This helps us do that. Concern somebody might get in his ear to try to draw him away? Yeah, 
How yeah, do you, how, I mean, there you, is. I mean, that's you know, there's you, you don't. I mean, he's a he's a he's a special player, you know. And and there's a, there's a lot of coaches out there that cheat, you know. So you know, I mean, I'm, you know, he's going to be up here in a minute. You guys ask him questions and everything, but you know, all indications are he's not going in the transfer portal. So if he's not in the transfer portal, it's a, it's it, it's uh it's kind of against NCAA rules and regulations to be pursuing that, so to speak. So I I, I got no reason to believe that. I I've never had. I've never got the impression that Derek is leading me astray in anything over the last nine months. What the hell is going on here, Ross? Is this a mulligan? He just wants to come back and try it again after a one and three start? Or are you hearing something I don't? Because I'm just baffled. So when this initially came out that he was going to redshirt for the rest of the year, my impression was that he was going to transfer and probably to Oklahoma after he saw what went on with Kyler Murray last year, what's going on with Jalen Hurts so far this year. I mean, Oklahoma's had three straight transfer quarterbacks that have been excellent. The last two both were number one overall pick in the draft, Baker Mayfield and Kyler Murray, and the Heisman Trophy winner. So that was my initial impression. And I think there's a couple things that are important to note here, Dave. A lot of people are thinking, De'Eric King, Houston football? Let me just tell you, okay? I've done two Houston games this year on the radio side. This guy is one of the most electric, dynamic players in all of college football. He played a lot as a freshman at wide receiver because they had a pretty good quarterback and they wanted to get him on the field and he made big plays. Sophomore year, they moved him to quarterback during the season. And all he did was beat out Kyle Allen. The, yes, same Kyle Allen. The guy that's a better quarterback than Cam Newton. De'Ara King replaced Kyle Allen as a sophomore and was electric. And then last year as a junior, it was just absurd. I mean, he had 50 touchdowns in 11 games if he didn't get hurt and miss the last couple games he might have broken the all-college all-time record for touchdowns responsible for he was responsible for more touchdowns more points per game than either Kyler Murray or Dwayne Haskins last year like 27.5 points per game three more points per game than Haskins and Kyler Murray 36 passing touchdowns, 14 rushing touchdowns. He's got like 15 games in a row, Dave, where he has a rushing touchdown and a passing touchdown. He beat out Tim Tebow's record for that. So this is an electric player. What I guess is happening right now is he realizes, number one, the team has gotten off to a slow start. And number two, he's kind of gotten off to a slow start, at least as compared to last year. New offense, major apple white out, Dana Holgerson in, and perhaps spring ball and camp weren't really enough for him to get comfortable in the offense. He probably feels like they can have a better team next year as Dana Holgerson gets a year to bring more guys in and get the roster where he wants it, and that he can also be a lot more comfortable in the system to have a better season. I think he probably was seeing things not going the way he envisioned, Dave, in terms of his performance, the team's performance, and most importantly, his NFL prospects and thinks that sitting out and basically like hitting the reset button on Nintendo like we used to do and, and going to come back again next year, I just think it's bizarre. I think it's a bad thing for college football. It's one thing. If you're not playing somewhere, you get benched. It's another thing if guys hit the – what about the guys that are fifth-year seniors? And you might say, well, he could have gotten hurt. Well, that's true, but he's not hurt. He's making a personal decision to leave a lot of those guys in a lurch, which is really, I think, unfortunate. I, I guess he's just using the rules and, and doing what's best for him, and maybe it's best for a lot of guys that are still on that team. But – it just it just doesn't feel right to be able to leave your team in the middle of the season like this. 
It's the precedent that concerns me. I'm not as familiar with the talent of Dear King, though I can admire the numbers. Uh, it's the precedent that's terrifying here soon. Yes, and to me, is this just now a mulligan for players that don't like to start the way they get off to? I'm all for player mobility, whether it's the NFL, whether it's the NBA, or whether it's college football. But this doesn't seem to open the door to player mobility, but rather screwing your teammates. Uh, Perhaps the NCAA needs to reconsider this rule and what they need to do is, I don't know how they do it. Perhaps they put in some caveat that if you are playing certain percentage of the snaps, then you cannot. It seems to work and be a positive for players like Kelly Bryant that did get benched in favor of Trevor Lawrence and still can make something of that season. I just don't understand it for the life of me. In this case, when it comes to Dear King, to your point, leaving his teammates now in a lurch with a long season still to go searching for a quarterback and, by the way, a wide receiver because Keith Corbin, also who starts at wide receiver, taking the red shirt as well. How can they fix that rule? Whew. It's a good question. I'm not sure they can at this point other than to say that the four games are only if you are in maybe your first or second year of eligibility, because um, I don't know that they can put a playing time standard in it. I think that would probably be pretty hard for them to do some type of playing time standard. Uh, but, you know, the teams, the schools are all using this now, Dave, in very different ways. I mean, Kelly Bryant's a different category, but Wiley Green, who's the quarterback at Rice, you know, he was a true freshman last year, started a couple games for Rice, and rather than start the last three or four games, that last three games, they said, you know what? We're just going to start you in one more game, the last game against Old Dominion. So we're not going to start you this week against LSU. We're not going to start you the week after that because we want to maintain a full year of eligibility for you. We'd rather have you for 12 or 13 games three years from now than these two games. It just, it's just weird. I mean, and he thought it was the best thing for him and he's a smart kid, the kid at rice and you know, he'll probably end up getting a whole season out of it. Maybe, but it's a, it's a, it's a, with, with the chat, with the transfer grad portal, with the transfer portal and grad transfers. And also now this four game rule, college football is changing quite a bit. Before our very eyes, we might need someone that can just handle all of these <laughs> new issues. I know we'll talk to Pat Forty, but maybe maybe the NCAA should hire Pat Forty. I know hiring can be a challenge. Heck, Codable co-founder Gretchen Hebner discovered that recently. She needed to hire a game artist for her education tech company. She knew it wouldn't be easy to find someone to grow with her team, so she went to ZipRecruiter. Because ZipRecruiter doesn't depend on candidates finding you. It finds them for you. Its technology identifies people with the right experience and invites them to apply to your job. So you get qualified candidates fast. Gretchen posted her job on ZipRecruiter and said she was impressed with how quickly she found qualified applicants. She also used ZipRecruiter's screening questions to filter her candidates so she could focus on the best ones. That's how Gretchen found a new game artist in less than two weeks. With results like that, it's really no wonder four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. See why ZipRecruiter is effective for businesses of all sizes. Try ZipRecruiter for free at our web address, ziprecruiter.com slash enter. That's ziprecruiter.com slash E-N-T-E-R ziprecruiter.com slash enter ziprecruiter the smartest way to hire okay a lack of institutional control that's what the ncaa is alleging bill self had at the university of kansas some major level one allegations leveled at the university of kansas their college basketball national championship winning head coach a hall of famer and apparently some infraction 
also includes the football program, a major story rocking one of the most high-profile college basketball programs in the country. That story broken by Pat Forty and Dan Wetzel of Yahoo Sports. Pat Forty joins us now with more on all of this. Wow, was that a shocker to read? Lack of institutional control. And Pat, if they have the goods on Bill Self, what does that mean for a Hall of Fame head coach? Well, I mean, if, if their case is upheld, the enforcement case is upheld before the Committee on Infractions, the penalties will be significant, I think, for Bill Self. Uh, you know, a full year suspension, possibly more, could be less. Uh, but Kansas will have to make a decision. If he's suspended for a year, are we still going to stand by this guy? So far, they've stood by him through thick and thin. Uh, there's also, I think, al almost assuredly, more assuredly, going to be major sanctions against the program as a whole. Uh, you know, I, I, I just don't see any way Kansas can successfully rebut charges uh, when it comes to paying players, Billy Preston, Silvio D'Souza. And with those, I, I would think there could be multi-year postseason bans uh, coming into effect. And certainly the 2018 Final Four uh, banner is going to come down because Silvio D'Souza played on that team. Pat, what are we doing here? I mean, you and I both know that all these programs are doing this and that all these college basketball guys are getting paid. So are we just trying to make an example of one program every couple years and some hopefully that scares people or maybe it restores the public confidence in the amateur aspect of this? I guess I, I have a tough time having any kind of uproar when I know other schools are doing it too, and it just seems like they're they're just going to grab someone that they get easy easy evidence on. I, I I just don't know really what we're accomplishing here. Well, I mean, I think there's two things at play here, Ross. You know, one, yes, there's a larger philosophical debate of of whether athletes should or should not be paid, and whether anyone cares whether they should or should not be paid. But secondly. The rules that are in place right now say you can't pay athletes, and certainly not this way. And in a lot of these cases, does the money ever actually come to the athlete, or does it come to the handler or person in between? Uh, so there's two, a couple different things there. But as long as these rules are in place and some schools are trying to abide by them and other schools are not, it's an unfair playing field. And I've seen a lot of coaches get fired who were trying to play by the rules because they lost to coaches who weren't interested in playing by the rules. So the federal government decides this is a crime, which we could certainly debate that, but it establishes that fact. It goes after these schools and it gives the NCAA a half dozen major cases on a silver platter. Yeah, they're gonna go uh, follow through on those. And I think they should. And let's get it all out in the open. And let's say this is exactly how the sport has been run and then decide how, if you wanna change the rules. But for now, this is the set of rules and these are the schools that aren't abiding by them. Punish them. Adidas has a 14-year, $190-plus million deal with the University of Kansas. What is the NCAA exactly alleging went on here between KU, between a booster, a coach, whatever you want to call them, and, a, and the university and the shoe company? What are they alleging? Yeah, well, that, that's one of the funny things is, of course, the government said that the schools were victimized by Adidas. And Kansas couldn't wait to second that uh, proclamation and say, yes, we, we were a victim in this. And then they turned around and agreed to a $190 million deal with the shoe company that victimized them. So does that make sense? Eh. Anyway, to your point, Dave, um, what they're saying is basically, yeah, T.J. Gasnola was doing what T.J. Gasnola does and what everybody in college basketball knew T.J. Gasnola did. He's a bag man. He's the money guy. He's the guy that finishes recruiting deals by getting money from uh, various sources <clears throat> on behalf of Adidas and giving it to players or players' families or whoever so that they go to Adidas schools. Anybody who reads the text between Bill Self and TJ Gasnola and thinks that they weren't, you know, working together to make these things happen or that TJ Gasnola was not working for Kansas uh, is not really reading the situation clearly or doesn't want to read the situation clearly. He was being used to do what TJ Gasnola does, to pay out money, to try to get players to go to Kansas. So my question then, Pat, is what is even Kansas's argument? I mean, what like how do they not get slapped 
with the heaviest penalties you can ever get based on the text and what you just said? Like, what what's what's Kansas's counter argument here? Uh, Kansas's counter argument, and that's that's a very good question, Ross, because it it, it sometimes it, it it defies common sense to me to a degree. But Kansas' counter argument is, hey, we didn't know what T.J. Gasnola was doing. He wasn't doing that on our behalf. We never told him to pay that money. The text messages with Bill Self never say anything about go pay ninety thousand dollars to Billy Preston's mother. Uh, you know that 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 it's not clearly spelled out there. And so they're saying that you know Bill Self runs a very clean program. He promotes an atmosphere of compliance, uh, and he would never agree to such a thing. So you know how the fact of the matter is this: the the violations occurred. Gasnola stood on the stand and said, yes, I paid the money. Here's where I got the money. Here's where I sent the money. So that they're just not going to be able to get out from under, I don't think. I mean, they, they are that is cut and dry. The thing that they the only thing they can try to defend, I think, of two things are whether Bill Self had any plausible deniability in this, which really doesn't matter anymore because of head coach responsibility rules. And secondly, the lack of institutional control penalty. Uh, where the NCAA is trying to roll a couple of football violations in with the basketball and say the whole athletic program was out of control. They'll definitely dispute that. Does this happen everywhere, Pat? Um, most most of the high-powered places, yeah. I mean, look, who, who do you think Kansas is competing with to get those players? You know, I mean, the best players are not going to – these college programs for free or for, for room and board and books. That's not been the way that's the culture has not been built that way in college basketball for two decades, probably longer, you know, ever since the shoe company really started to make a major impact, probably in the early nineties, this has been the way business has gotten done. So I think if you look, and I'm just going to ballpark here, Dave, the top 30 players, probably, 20, 25 of them are, have some sort of deal going on, have an agent already, have an agreement with a financial advisor, whatever the case may be. So, yeah, this is commonplace. Uh, Pat, I, I've lost track, but what happened with the Sean Miller stuff in Arizona and with the dude down in LSU? I mean, I see all these big scandals, and then next thing I know, I think the guys are still coaching. To my knowledge, those guys haven't gotten fired or sanctioned. Maybe I just don't pay attention enough. Now, well, I'm glad you brought it up because a lot of people don't. And and here's the, one of the big common misperceptions is, well, you're going after Kansas, but you've just you let the Nike schools like Auburn and Arizona and LSU go. No, those cases are ongoing. This stuff happens slowly and this stuff happens under the radar. But I know for a fact there is an ongoing case at Arizona. There is an ongoing case at Auburn. There is an ongoing case at LSU. The NCAA is working on it. One of their one of the NCAA's problems is they don't communicate with anyone. So, and I've I've had this discussion with people in Indianapolis. I said, you know, if people knew at least that there were ongoing investigations, they would think, okay, they're doing your, their job, as opposed to, well, they're only picking on the Adidas schools or they're only going after Kansas. That's not the case. Every school that got nailed in the federal investigation is under NCAA investigation. Count on it. Talking with. Pat Forty from Yahoo Sports. He and Dan Wetzel broke this stunning story about the lack of institutional control, about the relationship between Adidas and, in particular, here, Kansas. How does the NCAA, if you say 20 to 25 of the top 30 players in the country, has some sort of deal? What does the NCAA do to clean this up? Can they fix it? Well, I mean, they got a big boost from the feds in terms of trying to squelch the market, I guess you would say. You know, I think that the the sport was scared straight to a degree for a while. Um, and this will be the next step of deterrence, right? You know, I mean, if, if Bill Self, Hall of Fame, national championship coach, if Kansas second winningest program, I believe, in NCAA history, if they get nailed, then I think you will see people say, OK, um, we got to change our method of, of doing business. But on the other hand, you also, again, to, to Ross's point, you have this uh, increasing philosophical debate of what should we be doing for and with college athletes. And I think there's change coming on that front. Uh, and maybe that would deter the black market, but I'm not sure it would. I just think it would change the black market from, okay, if you can get name, image, and likeness for uh, 
$20,000 at Kansas, but hey, you know what? Kentucky can get you 30000 you know, a little more under the table here. You know, it's going to be the same thing. Highest bidder is probably going to, to be victorious in a lot of this stuff. So it, I'm not sure you ever clean up the sport. One other thing that will help, 2022 uh, one and done rule is going to be changed. And people, players will be able to go directly to the NBA. And that will take a lot of that top strata of players straight to the pros. And they'll be getting paid above board. Yeah, I like that, Pat. Uh, there's another thing going on in college sports right now that my mind is blown by, and that's what's going on with De'Eric King at the University of Houston. Pat, I called the Oklahoma game and the Washington State game uh, for Westwood One Radio, so I've seen De'Eric play twice already this year, 50 touchdowns last year, the American record, and he missed two games. I mean, he might have had the all-time record, more points per game, than Haskins and Kyler Murray last year. And now he's going to redshirt. He's the starting quarterback. This isn't Kelly Bryant. It's the middle of the season. And now he's going to redshirt. He says he's staying. I don't know. Maybe you know more than I do. My guess is that's 50-50. But I can't imagine, Pat, that this is what they had in mind when they made this rule, I'm picturing myself as a fifth-year senior offensive lineman looking at him like he's nuts. It's my last year playing football ever. What is going on? Yeah, I mean, if he's the quarterback at at Houston next year, I will be the Democratic nominee for president. Uh, There's just no (laughs) way this is going to happen. Uh, It does not pass the smell test, as you alluded to. Like You're one and three. You haven't even started conference play yet, and you're going to give up on this season? to stick around for next season? I I don't think so. Here's my best guess at what is going on, no matter what they're saying. You know, you're you're all the way in until you're out. And so he's keeping his options open, saying, yeah, I'm going to stay here and I'll be back, blah, 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 blah. But he's going to either, A, just protect his body and check his professional stock uh, come December, January, and say, you know, "Can can I be drafted or not? Maybe I'll just go straight to the NFL. If they say no, he's going to say, Hey, Lincoln Riley, you know what? I've seen what you've done with athletic, somewhat undersized quarterbacks. You're going to need another quarterback next year. How about it? Or if not there, somewhere else is a graduate transfer. Uh, And, you know, I'll try to improve my, excuse me, my NFL stock that way. But it's, I I agree with, from your standpoint, in the locker room, this has just got to be a mess. You know, again, this, it's not a guy like Kelly Bryant who got beat out, who'd lost his starting position. This is the starting quarterback. It's the best player on the team. And he's saying, yeah, <clears throat> I'm done for the year. It's a really bad precedent. Um, it's, you know, I, I look, I understand from the kid's standpoint, third head coach in four years, fourth offensive coordinator in four years, a lot of turmoil that he didn't really ask for. But this is not something that's good for a team and good for football. I think if you can just opt to say, ah, you know what, I'm, I'm done here. And you guys, good luck on your own. I, I, that's got to be really hard in the locker room. Very strange situation. I'm trying to buy the website, Pat, 40, 2020. I would vote for you, man. You have my vote. Uh, how about 2024 Jim Harbaugh, though? Will he be around 0-4 against Ohio State, 1-9 against top 10 opponents, 0-7 as an underdog? I could go on. They have lost three of their last five by 21-plus points. How long can he survive? What is going in the right direction in Ann Arbor? Nothing's going in the right direction right now, Dave. That's for sure. Uh, you know, I, I, I think I think Michigan is not the kind of school that will say you got to go, but there will be some booster pressure, and there'll be internal. You know, if Harbaugh just finally says, you know what, it's not working. I'm, you know, I'm going to go back to the NFL, or I'm just going to retire, or whatever. Uh, I think that might be the most likely end of that scenario there, if things continue down this path. Um, and you know, I think the other thing. I mean. In addition, it was so bad Saturday against Wisconsin. But the other thing, Michigan fans are looking and saying, you know, we got to beat Ohio State. we got to beat Ohio State. Oh, my gosh, Ohio State looks great. New coach, new quarterback doesn't matter. We're not going to beat them again. So I think there's kind of already dwindling hope there on the season. And in this, they didn't bring him in and pay him $7.6 million, I believe it is, a year to, to lose these games. And as you pointed out, lose them badly. Uh, this is a team that looks like it has no identity. It looks like they have no idea what's going on. And it's funny, I was up there last week before the Wisconsin game to Shea Patterson and some other players. 
And they were all like, yeah, we cannot wait to play. Wait till you see us. You know, we are going to let it loose. We're going to make a statement. They come out, they hit a 50-yard pass, then they fumble, then they crumble. I think it's fake juice. I think they have no confidence right now in themselves or in the direction they're going. Pat, just as a follow-up, just as, after talking about Derek King and Michigan, I'm just curious. Uh, you know, I've talked to college basketball coaches, and, and, I, and we talked about what's going on there. What's your sense in college football? I mean, certainly – uh, I think we know about the SEC, and in particular, there's certain schools where I think every NFL guy I played with that went to a couple schools, I won't name them, got some money to go there. But how prevalent do you think that is on the college football side when the shoe companies really aren't as heavily involved and it's really more booster-driven? Yeah, I mean, it's, it, it certainly goes on, as you know, and, and everybody certainly can suspect uh, you know, is it as it, I, I wonder this, are the dollar figures as big and is it as widespread? Because it's harder to pay that many guys in football, quite frankly. And secondly, as you point out, it's not shoe driven. There have been some shoe inroads that have been made there. There have been certainly from what I've heard, some indications, some in, indications that shoe companies have tried to help their programs in certain situations. But, you know, I worked hard on the Cam Newton situation when he ended up at Auburn. I, that was a that was a large money deal, I believe. Um, but, you know, how many of those can you make? You need 22 guys to start. You need 85 guys on scholarship. Basketball, one or two guys can make a monumental difference. Uh, I think it's a, a different market from that standpoint. But, you know, I've heard stories that just would curl your hair about, you know, the amount of money that schools will try to raise to get players in football. I don't know if they're true or not, but uh, there's, a, there's a lot of mythology out there. I'll say this. Football's lucky that this really hit this whole investigation has not come to roost on them. The wholesome world of college sports. Ain't it wonderful? Uh, this, is why Pat, this is why Pat got involved in college sports in the first place, Dave. <laughs> this is why Pat wanted to be the premier college sports guy. This is, this is, these, are the, uh, these are the feel-good stories that Pat got involved in it for. Uh, That's right. Well, you, hey, my, I, got, got a, I got three kids that are all college swimmers. They're not getting paid, I can tell you that. There needs to be Pat, a swimming where are black they? market. Where, where are they? Uh, they, the oldest has graduated from Missouri, uh, middle one's a senior at Georgia, and the youngest is a junior at Stanford. Oh, my well, gosh. You must be so proud, man. That's, am that's amazing. That is awesome. They deserve Thank some you. money. Thank you. And you do, too. You've got a lot of material for the Yahoo Sports College podcast and the 40-yard dash. Read those. Listen to the podcast. Pat Forty, great stuff. And best of luck in the 2020 Democratic race. <laughs> or Republican who knows I'll vote for him Pat Forty from Yahoo Sports thank you all right so Tucker uh, just as we as we put a a bow on all that do you feel better about college athletics no and the whole show started with me saying I try to stay in my sports cocoon because I don't want the negativity and the garbage and controversy from politics okay None of those college athletes get paid. I don't know what you're talking about. They're all just playing because they love their school and they're supporting their school. That's why, in all sincerity, that's why, I mean, I love big-time college hoops and big-time college football. I do. But it's also why I have an affinity for, like, the Ivy League or, like, even Division Three sports because it is still pure at that level. But even like in the Ivy League, you know, there are some schools will complain about the admission standards and the financial aid packages of other schools. That happens at Division Three. No matter where you are, there are some perceived or real advantages. Now, that's legal, right? Like those schools can decide what they want to do with their admission and with their financial aid. Like, that's legal. But still, it does kind of skew the playing field. I mean, we don't really ever have level playing fields in amateur in, in college sports like that because there's always a little bit of a sliding scale based on a bunch of different factors, which is the benefit, I guess, of, of professional sports. 
It is. And, and Ross, I guess sometimes I like to put on my earmuffs or my blinders or whatever, whatever it is and just enjoy college sports. And yes, I am naive, but I like to think, and I know he's not wrong because nobody covers college sports like Pat Forty. But he said 20 to 25 of the top 30 players in college hoops, high school that would be, have a deal, some sort of deal. And that's Damn amazing, it. Dave. That, that's amazing, Damn Dave, because your Duke Blue Devils would never do Don't. such a thing. So the Don't. so the three to five players that he's talking about that don't have it must be all the Duke guys every year. Isn't that fascinating? Isn't it amazing how 20 of the 25 top guys, but not the number one guy Zion or number two R.J. Barrett or number three Cam Reddish, those three guys turned down hundreds of thousands of dollars so they could spend three months in the presence of King Krzyzewski. Can't a guy have a little freaking positivity, man? Can't a guy believe in fucking unicorns? I believe in unicorns. I need to believe in unicorns because I have to cover politics every damn day. And it's ugly and it's nasty and it's divisive and it's tribal. And now college sports is every bit as ugly. I am on Team Ross Tucker. High school football for me Friday night. And I am going to wrap up and embrace high school sports. But when we come back after a quick break, we're going to switch to the NFL where they're allowed to get paid all they want, but they got to perform. And Baker Mayfield is not a 50% passer and a week three loss. What is ailing the Cleveland Browns, Baker Mayfield, Freddie Kitchens, the play calling, the whole thing will go to 92-3 in Cleveland. They get the hometown view of the Browns issues after a quick break. Is the Sports Illustrated cover jinx alive and well? The Cleveland Browns start makes you think maybe it is a one-and-two sluggish start for the Cleveland Browns and specifically their quarterback, Baker Mayfield, currently ranked 13th behind guys like Derek Carr in the PFF quarterback grades. What we do here on Home and Home is we're from home and we go into your home markets to get the home perspective What's happening with your favorite teams? Let's go to 92.3 The Fan in Cleveland. And Dustin Fox joins us. Folks in Cleveland, listen to Dustin from 2 to 7. That is a massive heavy lift, Dustin, especially when your team starts 1 and 2 and you go to Baltimore, a 7-point dog. What are the hometown fans there feeling about the early start? Well, they're disappointed, obviously. I mean, you talk about uh, fans that are passionate here in Cleveland, and they are. I mean, they're disappointed because we're supposed to go to the Super Bowl, right? I mean, everyone thought that, uh, you know, you get Odell Beckham and you got Baker Mayfield off this, uh, you know, nice rookie season that the Browns are just going to just walk all over everybody. Well, unfortunately, that's not the case. And in the NFL, it's tough to win games. Uh, It's a challenge to, you know, bring a bunch of you know new faces together. Uh, They're talented, no doubt, but. Uh, the surprise, the surprise, I think, was just the opener. Uh, the way they played against the Tennessee Titans was extremely disappointing. You know, you lose by 30 points at home in, in what was supposed to be the, the coming out party for the Browns. That was what was so, I think, disappointing about the season. Because, listen, the, I don't think anybody expected the Browns to be 3-0. and But if they were 2-1 and right now, you'd feel a heck of a lot better about things. Um, it's, it's one of those th- deals where, like, you know, the Browns, you know, they lose a, a tough close game to, to the Rams and they played, oh, they actually played pretty well defensively. Um, offensively, they, there was a struggle against a very, very talented defense, but the Browns sit here at one and two and it feels like the world's cr- crumbling. I mean, people want Freddie Kitchens fired. Uh, they wish they had Greg Williams. Uh, people are already off the, the Baker Mayfield train. I mean, it, it's crazy how people react uh, in the NFL to, to just uh, a few, few football games. So watching them, Dustin, what would you say in your mind is their biggest issue right now? Is it Baker? Is it Freddie? Or is it something we kind of already knew would be the issue coming into the season, like the offensive line? What's number one on your list of most troublesome issues for the Browns thus far? I think it's just Freddie right now. I think he's he's kind of dealing with taking over as, as being a head coach and also dealing with you know, calling the plays. I mean, there's a lot of responsibility that goes into that. And I think there's a lot of pressure too. And, and the, the pressure comes from the expectations that the team is supposed to be really, really good this year. You know, down around the goal line, when you get first and goal, 
um, with 40 something seconds to go in the football game with a chance to, to tie or take the lead. He, he, he runs like the exact same play four times in a row. And you've got Nick Chubb in the, in the backfield who wasn't even in the backfield because he runs an empty set. So I think he's overthinking things a little bit too much right now. I think Baker Mayfield's uncomfortable too, because this is not the same, same offense that we saw last season that was uh, designed. I thought to basically put Baker Mayfield in the best position to have success. It was all about Baker. Now it's, I, I don't know what we're seeing. I mean, you have, I don't think the Browns have uh, have motioned a wide receiver once this season. I mean, it's it's kind of crazy when you think about where they were last year and what they did to what they're doing right now. If you just watch Baker Mayfield's feet alone, he looks very uncomfortable. A lot of happy feet, and that's resulting in a lot of incomplete passes, 50% passing in week three. What did change about that offense? I, I wish I could tell you. Um, I, I don't know. I mean, obviously, listen, the offensive line has changed. Uh, they don't have uh, Zeitler anymore, who was traded to uh, to the Giants. <clears throat> Excuse me. They're, um, you know, you've got, you've got a new right tackle, uh, at least in this past game. And I think that Baker's just kind of kind of like pressing a little bit right now. And I, I also think that when you add a talent like Odell Beckham Jr., there is a certain pressure maybe to get him the football. And I don't know if Baker's like thinking about that, maybe even subconsciously, like I got to get the ball to Odell, but it, it has certainly added something to Baker's plate where he's scrambling, leaving the pocket more to his right, a lot more than he he's done in the past. What's funny is, you know, I'm looking at these stats guys from pro football focus where like Baker has had the most time um, to, to throw the football, but he's for some reason holding on to it a lot longer than he has uh, last year, which is, which I don't, I don't get. I mean, is he like, are guys not getting open? That, that's a possibility too. But for some reason he's either not seeing the field guys aren't getting open or, or he's just panicking. Yeah. The one thing I would say, Dustin is at least the defense is playing as well as they yeah. are, especially the last couple of weeks. I mean, that's, that's been their saving grace. I always find it interesting. One of the things we love about home and home is going to the different home markets of all the radio.com affiliates. Would you say it's more disappointment or more anger among the fan base right now? I don't think fans are angry. I think they're I think they're just disappointed. And and look, it, it all changes on Sunday, guys. I mean, the Browns play the Ravens. Yeah, they're a seven-point dog. They shouldn't be seven-point dogs. They should be about a four-point dog, I think. But if they win this game. All of a sudden, they're back to two and two. Um, you know, this division's wide open. You know, <laughs> the Bengals and Steelers are zero and three. <clears throat> so the Browns win this game; they're right in the mix. They're tied. They're tied for the lead in the division. They actually, had to have have the lead in the division because um, beating Baltimore. So it, the season's not over. It just didn't get off to the start that fans had anticipated. Basically, they they, they lost one game that people thought they should have won. And that's Tennessee. I don't think a lot of people thought that the Browns were, were definitely going to beat the Rams, even when the season began. The the whole thought process was, all right, let's be two and one and, and go see what happens in Baltimore and San Francisco. Yeah, I think for some, and we're talking with Dustin Fox, 92-3, the fan in Cleveland. Follow him at Dustin Fox 37. I think for some, it seemed like even in the win, they were right on that line between winning and being bad. I mean, an 89-yard touchdown from Odell Beckham Jr. makes a lot of things look good, as does a spectacular, mm -hmm. impossible catch that only probably one guy in this league can make. Uh, yeah. Is Freddie Kitchens, in your estimation, uh, underqualified? Is is he in over his head? I don't think it's fair to say that at this point. You know, I, I think Freddie is a, is a terrific football coach. Uh, I, I was high on him getting the job. I wanted him to get the job because of what he did last season. I, I think right now what you're seeing is a young football coach kind of figuring it out on, on the fly. And time will tell. Listen, you, you guys may be right. People may be right. Maybe he, he is in over his head. I just think after three games, it's, it's probably irresponsible for anybody to have that, that sort of a take. I mean, it, it looks like he's, he's uh, kind of swimming out there a little bit in terms of the play calling. But I'm, I'm certainly not going to say he's in over his head at least until <laughs> – let, let's at least play half a season and see how things go. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Justin, yeah. I got questions for you on Ohio State and Michigan. I guess I'll start with the Ohio State portion of it. 
you know, I'm, I'm prepping. I'm doing the game Saturday between Cincinnati and Marshall. And I think Cincinnati's yeah. pretty good. And Ohio State just annihilated them. You know, they lose all these receivers, all these defensive guys like Bosa. They lose Dwayne Haskins. They look like they might even be better. I mean, what is going on there? Are they better? And how impressed are you with the way the beat just keeps going on there in Columbus? Well, I think it's it speaks to Ryan Day and the job that they have done recruiting in terms of getting just the talent in there. I mean, this is one of the premier places in the entire country to, to go play football. So you have to you have to have players, no doubt about that. But I think Ryan Day has has kind of infused a little bit of new blood in that program. Um, the players love love playing for him. It helps when you have a quarterback transfer in from Georgia like Justin Fields, who's a tremendous talent. I've been so impressed with the wide receivers. I mean, the job that, that Brian Hartline has done with those guys just in, in recruiting and, and getting those guys to to play at such a high level has been, been extremely impressive. I think the defense is is much improved this season. Uh, I don't I don't know what what it was last year with Greg Schiano, but the defense was not the silver bullet old school uh, brand of football that we were used to at Ohio State. So the job that you know Greg Madison's done there with the defense is is terrific. I I I, I just I think they might might be better than they were a season ago, and I think a lot of it is is attributed to the job that that Ryan Day has done. Um, as head coach and, and, and listen, they haven't played anybody yet. I mean, I know Cincinnati's a decent team and you'll have, you'll see them this weekend, Ross, but, but I think they'll be, they'll be challenged on Saturday night. Uh, they head to Lake in Nebraska to, to take on the, the Cornhuskers and that'll be a, that'll be a tough, tough uh, challenge because it's a night game. It's a tough place to play. And uh, I think for the first time, we'll see how, how legit these Buckeyes really are. And then the last question, it's a follow up on that. When you, as a former Buckeye or all the Ohio State fans, when they see Michigan getting trampled by Wisconsin like that, is it all just joy about Michigan's misery? Or are part of you guys sad and like, you know what, this isn't good for the rivalry if Michigan is getting run over by Wisconsin like this? What are the emotions for Buckeyes faithful Buckeyes fans, former Buckeyes players like you, when you see what happened to the Wolverines on Saturday? I don't know that anybody's sad. Uh, I know that the diehard Buckeye fans are probably happy because they just want to see Michigan suck at everything. But when Michigan sucks at, 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 at everything, that's not good for the rivalry. So uh, me as a former player, I, I don't I don't like when Michigan's down. I like when Michigan's, you know, number one or number two in the country. And I, I want both teams to be undefeated and they play in the end of November. I think that's what makes the rivalry so great. It is to me, it is kind of sad that these these guys have have not been able to, to be competitive over, over the last decade plus. Um, it, it'll happen at some point. And and listen, Michigan has players like they have a really good defense. What happened on Saturday, I think, is sort of an anomaly. I don't think it's going to happen to those guys again. And they can still beat Ohio State this season. It's, it's still going to be a, a tough challenge. Their quarterback's not going anywhere. Um, and they're not firing hardball today. And, and guess what? If Michigan does beat Ohio State this season, no one in Ann Arbor is going to remember the Wisconsin drumming. They're going to remember beating Ohio State for the first time when Ohio State's most likely going to be undefeated. Boy, would I be stunned to see that happen, the way Jonathan yeah. Taylor shredded that defense. 140 yards in the first quarter alone. <laughs> I would be stunned. Stunned if that happened. That defense, we must be watching two different groups. Part of the reason you can do five hours on 92.3 The Fan in Cleveland is you also have the Cleveland Indians who look like they are right on the edge of playoffs, yeah. uh, trying to fight for that wild card. How much traffic do you generate? Are the fans there optimistic? They're optimistic. You know, the tribe don't draw a lot of interest um, on Sports oh. Talk Radio in, in Cleveland. It's just not, it's not a, you know, it's not a great, baseball city i don't think um i mean there there are diehard fans there no doubt but like uh for the most part the indians they they take a, a far back seat to the cleveland browns this time of year but you know we're talking about them i mean the, the indians are right there they had a nice win last night uh over the white Sox. They, they have i think five games left to go and boy they gotta they gotta win about four more <laughs> i think to, to get in and and even if they get in i mean they're gonna have to probably go play the oakland a's in a wild card on the road so that's that's gonna be tough for them but but yeah, I mean, listen, get in and anything can happen. Dustin, I've never asked this before. This is a personal question. I'm just yeah. curious. 
I was looking you up while we're talking. I already knew you played at Ohio State, played in the NFL. I yeah. didn't know you ran a 10-8 in high school in the 100 meters. Like, I didn't know you could roll like that. <laughs> and I guess I'm just curious uh, whether it was your speed in high school or the position that you played in college in the NFL. Let's be honest. There's not a lot of white guys that play no. Division One Ohio State corner, NFL corner, as well as run a 10-800. Do you have any stories about, like, how surprised were some of the guys when you were in track racing against them when they saw you dust them? Which, by the way, Dustin, that's an unbelievable name for you. Yeah. But when you saw them dust you, like, what was that like being a crazy fast white guy? I got to know. It was always fun because – you know, the uh, the black guys never really thought that, <laughs> that, that I was uh, as athletic as I was. And, you know, even back in high school when I was playing basketball and, you know, because I, I had a 43 inch vertical, so I could just dunk like super easy. And yeah, I'd go to the gym in college at, uh, you know, like the rec centers and stuff and just be like putting on a show. And like it was just it was always funny to see everyone's reaction because no one expected a white guy to be able to jump like that. And certainly no one expected a white guy to be lining up at, at cornerback for four years at Ohio State in the Big Ten and, and certainly in the NFL against all these these talented wide receivers. So, uh, yeah, it was fun, man. I, in fact, correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I was told that there hasn't been a white guy play cornerback since I played the position in 2009 uh, in a game. So that's that's a wild stat that that, uh, that I'm pretty sure is, is pretty accurate. But, uh, yeah, it's crazy to th th think that no one has, has done that. But uh, – yeah, man, I, I was blessed with some athletic ability and um, maybe 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 I had the wrong skin color. I, I don't know, <laughs> but uh, but we made it happen. Some athletic ability. You are a crazy ass athlete. You can say it, man. You got crazy <laughs> skills. I can't relate <laughs> to any of that. None of it. Other than it. facial hair. That's about it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Dustin Fox is insane athlete, a talented host on 2 to 7, 92.3 The Fan in Cleveland. Appreciate all the time. You got it, guys. Thanks for having me. All right, speaking of crazy athletes, when we come back, a former NFL quarterback joins us. He is now the quarterback guru of Kyle Allen, one of the wonderful stories in the NFL this season. He's also a college football and NFL analyst for Fox Sports. Jordan Palmer joins us to explain how in the world Kyle Allen looks like a dramatic improvement over a former league MVP, Cam Newton. We'll talk to Jordan about Kyle Allen and the Panthers when we come back to after a quick break. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary.